five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is Winning War Cry. Welcome to the show, Dan and Jason. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Excited. Yeah, it's good times. You know, I feel like a month is so long between shows, but then sometimes it feels like it goes by super fast. That's what happens when you get older. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm super happy to be talking um, about Warcry today because uh, Jason and I played Warcry over the weekend, and it's fresh in my mind. Yeah, it was fun, as always. I think it's yeah. the first time we've played each other in a while, though. It it was a while. It, it had mm. been a while. So uh, interestingly, we just had kind of an impromptu Warcry night. Uh, our other host, the other Dan, finally got his... Um, sisters of um or sorry daughters of Cain uh put together and so he's like I'm ready to play Warcry let's play it so we did a kind of an impromptu Warcry night at his place uh one of our other friends who was kind of new to the game came over uh, and another guy who was pretty new to the game came over as well so we had five of us and uh Jason decided that uh because I always tend to be the TO that he would take T.O. duties over the evening. Nice. And <laughs> Happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to play. I finally got to play again. Um, and uh, I played Horns of Hashut for the evening. I played against the Iron Golems. And I'll kind of give a report as we talk about Horns of Hashut during our breakdown tonight. And then I played against Jason. I played against you with your Flesh Eater Court. So we had a good time. Yeah, good times. Yeah. The, uh, the other cool. people that were playing, let's see. The Sean, he was playing Iron Golems, a list that I had put together for him. And then um, Adam was playing Thunderstrike Stormcast Eternals. And then Dan was playing his Daughters of Cain. So it was pretty yep. good, pretty good yep. evening. Good times. I think that nice. uh, we'll, t- we'll get into it, but I was really happy to see Dan put a full war band that he had assembled and painted himself on the table. He was pretty proud of that, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. As you should be. As you should be. So, uh, before we get into everything else, though, let's talk hobby table. Uh, Dan, uh, what's on your hobby table, buddy? Um, I've been painting terrain, uh, mostly as an excuse to figure out... I bought a bunch of the new contrast paints, and oh, okay. I've been trying to figure out what they do. And I, I feel like with terrain, I feel a lot less pressure. Um you know, to, to get it right the first time. So I've been just testing the new contrast paints on terrain. Also testing some of the old contrast paints that I didn't like much on terrain, um, like, uh, Mm. Creed camo and ultramarine, uh, are some of the ones that I've not had success with. And so I was trying them out kind of in different ways to see if I could get results I liked. Um, 
and it worked well with Ultramarine. I still don't like <laughs> the way Creed Camo came out on uh, on some of the terrain I put it on, but um, you know, batting 50-50 isn't bad there. So, been doing terrain and uh, just starting some Nurgle stuff. Not going to oh, do nice. enough for any kind of AOS purposes, but um, just enough for a Warcry Warband, I think. Uh, demons or the um, uh, what do they call them? The demons yeah i um i the got models, i guess yeah i got a uh, pretty cool little chimera off of etsy uh that fits it like fits the size perfectly it's the size of my bloodthirster which is um you know on the same base as a regular chimera is uh but it's got like you know a, a dragon head a goat head and a lion head and um and so I'm painting up some plague bearers and a sloppity bile piper to go with it, and then I'm gonna get a uh, beast of Nurgle along the line here eventually. And then, um, cool thing about the plague bearer box is it comes with a ton of random Nurglings just to yeah. stick on their bases. But if you just don't put them on their bases and you just put them all, I had a uh, a 50 millimeter base kind of left over um, from something or other, and I just uh, stuck all the extra nurglings on that base and i'm going to call it a nurgling so that i don't have to go get the get the kit so really nice little bonus there from getting the plague bearer kit oh nice yeah that's very cool um i think i think you showed us that chimera model the last time you were kind of pointing some stuff out on etsy you're like check out this chimera so i think yeah i think we saw it it looked really cool yeah you saw the um the etsy pictures of it so right now i've just got it it's been like i spray painted it uh mint green to get ready to do the nurgle stuff on it but yeah i'm excited for it that'll be that'll be great that'll be really good uh jason what's on your hobby table well i did a bunch of terrain but it was for kill team um but uh it doesn't matter i was really kind of playing with the idea of how to do um um, a uh, a board, an actual terrain board, right? Like so, when you get these, you know, Warcry boxes or or Kill Team boxes, the mats that come in them are just kind of cardboard. They're cool looking, but they're they're kind of just cardboard flat m- mats that have some pictures on them. So I I took some of the extra phone I had and I tried doing some experimentation, you know, with kind of some paver cement and uh, uh, Mod Podge and and stuff. And I thought I got a really and some oil washes, and I got a really cool effect that I felt like kind of matched what the terrain board that came in the box was going for, uh, but gave a nice hearty texture to it, so that you it gave a, a much more kind of rich depth feel, like it um, your models were really um, playing on earth versus uh, just playing on a board. Uh, cool. So I think I, I, I'm feeling good with the scheme that I have. So now I'm going to go ahead and do like a full uh, 22 by 30 um, so that we can use it uh, in Warcry or on Kill Team. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I was over at his house and saw half the board that he was messing around with. And uh, just having that kind of like 3D texture um, was really nice. Yeah, and it's also like uh, probably only – I'm doing the math in my head right now – it's probably only like $30 worth of material to yeah. make that board. Uh, cause you know, the oil, 
just two colors in oil. I do an ivory black and a burnt umbra, and I just mix the brown and the black together to get kind of a muddy look to it. And then the paver cement, like, you know, we talk, you can get kind of a bucket of paver cement for like eight bucks, right, at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the foam board itself, I don't know, it's something like a 10 by 10 by 6 foot thing of foam is only like 14 bucks. So you can do it super cheap. Well, I guess the Mod Podge is probably the most expensive thing in there. But yeah, right. It's like 8 bucks for a little <laughs> tiny little thing of Mod Podge. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, good. Easy stuff. So that's what I've been yeah. working on. Nice, nice. Very good. Um, I finished my uh, Heart of Gur Terrain the other day. Uh, so I'm very happy with how it turned out. I'm especially happy with the bamboo. Uh, let me tell you this recipe that I that I kind of came up with because I was looking at a lot of people's recipes online for the bamboo, and to me it all looked too much like bone. And part of it was because yeah. they were um, putting down like either a white, um, you know, kind of like or, or you know it was like a gray, and then they'd dry brush right white over it, or they would. Um, put down something like an Ushapti bone or something, and then put the skeleton hoard over it. So it looked very similar to the bone that they had. And I just, I wanted some differentiating color there because bamboo doesn't look like bone, you know? Um, so, yeah, I'm looking at pictures online right now of giant pandas eating bamboo. And uh, <laughs> you're right, it doesn't look like bone at all. Doesn't it's look like big bone grass, all. right? It's essentially just really big, thick grass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, it, I saw an interesting picture online the other day. Somebody had done green bamboo like it was freshly cut, um, and I and you know before it died. And I thought that that looked really good. Um, but the what I wanted to go with, I needed it more yellowy orange, you know, rather than kind of ivory um, that you kind of go for. Yep. So I found a pot of paint that I had gotten. I literally, this is one of my very first pots of paint I had ever gotten from Games Workshop. It was Ungore Flesh because um, I was painting some uh, Beastmen models for our uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord role-playing game uh, that I had. I found some Beastmen at a, at a game store down in Newport News, Virginia that were just kind of like loose models. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, uh, this is skin tone looks like beast men. So, and they were ungores, or not, they were gores actually, not ungores, but gores. So anyway, I had this pot, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is perfect because it sucks actually as a skin tone. It's really not good. It's very orangey, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just like, eh, I mean, I guess it kind of worked for beast men, but it's not my favorite. Um, Which one is this again? Ungore flesh. Ungore flesh. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty orangey. Um, and so I never had good success with it. Like the, the color I really wanted when I got that pot was Cadian flesh tone. Like that's the color I really wanted, but Ungore flesh is orangey. So I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the color. So I painted my bamboo with it and it looked really good, but it just, it wasn't pulling out a lot of the little details. So I did a thin coat of the skeleton horde contrast over it. And oh my gosh, I love how it turned out. Like it nice. looks really, really good. And I don't know if i posted a picture of it in our discord or not um but yeah, i'll have, have to... to you'll have to post one after the podcast drops yeah because um i was super super duper happy with it um yeah in fact i don't think i even took a picture of it since then but uh yeah i mean i painted the stonework uh you know kind of that seraphon green 
Um, really took some time with the bone effects on it, and then uh, you know pulled out the 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 wood and stuff like that. So I'm very happy with how it came out. I thought it looked good on the table. Jason had issues with the terrain though. On the table, right, Jason? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> and it wasn't just me. It was me and the other two players. Like every time we barely touched it, like the little hooks and sharp edges were catching on our hands, our clothes, our skins, our models. Like the little ladder things between, uh, or the bridges kept popping and flying and grabbing. And it wasn't like you just bump the ladder and it would just fall off. You'd bump it, but it had other hooks on it, so it would hook the tree, and then the tree and the ladder and everything would just go sprawling across the table. It was yeah. like the whole game. We were like accident. It got to the point where we were like, it was almost like we were doing surgery on the board whenever we had to move anything near the terrain. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it was still it was still really fun to play on because it's very thematic, but... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and ju- you know, to Justin's point, like we weren't really focusing on not doing that, but we had to really we had to pay attention to the terrain yeah. a lot more because it's not it's not flat and heavy like a lot of stuff is, you know. Right, like the original, the original starter set terrain is like really thick and f- yeah. again low slung ruins. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it has a I don't know. Um, it's very stable. The original is very stable. This one yeah. is the trees are. I think the trees are stable. The problem is those ladders hook easy, and then they don't unhook from the trees when they fly. So a little nudge on uh, on a bridge or a ladder is going to nudge the thing it's attached to. Yeah. Funny. Still so, really fun and cool to look at, though. I mean, it, look, it looks great. Yeah, I'm, I'm super happy with it. I was going to start painting the Horns of Heshut tonight, um, but then I decided that it's Orktober, so... Um, decided I decided to do the podcast. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's October, so I am going to, uh, or I have been painting up my Kill Team orcs that have been sitting on my shelf staring at me, and I said, let's get this done before the end of October. That's a great goal um, to have it done. So I, But yeah, we're a little late recording tonight because I was super-duper duper focused on getting some skin tones right on those orcs. So... Um, but yeah, I'm I'm moving along with hobbying. It's it's always fun to finish like a big project and then just like start anew on a new one. Like that's always very satisfying to me. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, lots of good hobby stuff. I just love the fact that we're hobbying all the time. Like we never stop. We're always we we always got something to go. And I think that's part of the that's part of the allure of these skir- skirmish games. I mm-hmm, yeah. I've got so many little warbands that I could work on, and I don't feel bogged down by these two thousand point armies or four three thousand four thousand points that I need to you know build and paint and put together. So. Yep. Yep. Totally. I I keep looking at my ogres because they're not a hundred percent painted. My ogre AOS army that I started before COVID, and mm-hmm. uh, and then looking back at my skirmish teams and saying I'm just gonna do them. This yeah. Is so much more manageable. <laughs> Yep. Although your ogre's book is coming out soon. Are you it, even going to get it? I don't know, man. I I'm having so much fun in the skirmish world right now. I I I think I'm just going to keep doing what I'm having fun with cuz my time uh my time is limited. And for the record, Jason, you have yet to play an AOS 3.0 game. Yet to play it. Yep. Yep, just hasn't uh found time to uh to do it and you know we've talked about it before it's just yeah. the skirmish games are so much more accessible except for our uh you know four hour kill team 
<laughs> so, oh my gosh. So the running joke, Dan, is that whenever we like play a new game, it takes us like four times the amount of time to actually play a game. We we played what was it? It was a, a five hundred, eight hundred point, something like that. Our game yeah, of first Age of AOS was five hundred points. Five hundred points. It took us four hours to play it. Yeah. Wow. It, well, I mean, it was yeah. like, all right, uh, I'm gonna attack. Okay, how do I attack? I don't know. Let's <laughs> <go>. <laughs> yeah, because it's like it's like the blind leading the blind, right? Yeah. Like we we yep. like we don't have someone there being like, oh no, this is what you do. And uh, had we had somebody there teaching us how to do it, we would have played a 500 point game in like an hour. You know what I mean? No problem. Yeah. But it's referencing the rules and being like, wait, can you do that? Can you not do that? And second guessing yourself and then having to reread everything. And that, that's what it was like with Kill Team, though. We, yeah. we went to get going. It was like, okay, uh, all right. So now, uh, now we we set up the objectives. Okay, cool. All right. So now we roll. Okay, cool. So now we. Put our models on. Okay, cool. Uh, are we ready? Are we ready to start? Nope. But wait. But wait. There's something else we have to. Do. We have to pick. We have to pick our uh, tactical ops. Okay, great. Okay, wait. But wait. There's something else to do. It was like <laughs> I felt it was like 45, 50 minutes before we even finished setting up the game, and we were like, yeah. "Holy crap!" Like, and the, oh wait, equipment. Okay, now we got to put equipment on our guys, and remember who we wow. attach it to. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard Kill Team flows pretty well once you kind of learn the language, but oh, yeah. you know, with all the symbols and everything in the latest Kill Team edition, like it, it's got a high barrier to entry, but I've heard it's just as quick as Warcry once you've actually got it down. Our first round took us like an hour. And our last round, now granted we had less models, but our last round took us like ten minutes. Yeah. Nice. Do you know what I mean? Because okay. like we we knew what we we're doing, we knew how those guys were playing, like we, we knew, knew our profiles, all that. Yeah, stuff. and we knew yeah. the rules at that that point. Like, okay, well, like when I move and I dash, like this is what that means, and you know, like this is what you can do, you can't do. So like we already knew that. So I think if we were to play it again, we'd finish a kill team game in maybe an hour and a half. I think so. Yeah. Yes. You know? Okay. So, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It's a very I. Tactically, it's a very different game than Warcry, in my opinion. I I think so. I think that um, it's still heavy movement control, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the movement is is significantly different than Warcry. It is it is very different. The movement is mm-hmm. very different than Warcry. And because your shoot, because everything has a gun, everything has a gun. Like that just changes the dynamic of things a lot. Sure. Yeah. Right. So. Um, and so it's a different game, but it was a lot of fun. And, um, we're definitely throwing this into the, uh, skirmish, uh, games mix rotation yep. that we have. So, but tonight it's about Warcry. but tonight it's about Warcry. So speaking of Warcry, we had some big news. Well, I don't know if it was news per se, a big teaser dropped this week. Uh, Dan, do you want to walk us through what this teaser was? Yeah, very exciting. So this is something we'd kind of been speculating about since we very first saw the first trailer for mm-hmm. uh, the Warcry 2nd Edition, right? Was uh, when are we going to get non-Chaos Warbands? And if they're telling us that all of this is about Seraphon, when are we going to see the Seraphon? And we finally did. Um, yeah. They've shown us, I think we've seen two, right? Two Chameleon Skinks. Um which is really exciting. The other thing that's exciting to me um, is 
that the Chameleon Skinks don't look exactly like the Chameleon Skink from the Underworlds Warband that came out. Yeah. I guess this is like three years ago now. It's it's older, but um, you know they they tried this out because there's this whole thing about how they need to refresh the Seraphon range, right? Um, because yeah. all those sculpts are pretty old. Um, I actually think some of the big ones like the Bastilodon and the Carnosaur hold up pretty well, but um, a lot of the rank and file Seraphon, you know don't hold up nearly as well and uh so the new the first sort of draft at new seraphon sculpts came out you know three or four years ago and uh the chameleon skink in there is just a chameleon it's just a big chameleon yeah um whereas these are more sort of anthropomorphized chameleons uh that fit a little bit closer to what else is going on with the Seraphon range in terms of like sentient lizards and sentient dinosaurs. Um, and I think they look really good. What are you, what are your impressions of, uh, of these skinks? So um, I, there, they, it's showing two of them in the article that came out. Uh, let's see, when did it come out? It came out on the 10th. So two days ago. Right. Um, and I think you're right. Like the anthropologist, anthropomorphization of these skinks i think it's critical right like it's not like they're just kind of like weird lizards hanging out like they're holding blowpipes they're standing on two feet you know and one of my favorite things is one of the skinks like there's actually like a little lizard crawling up near his foot you know oh, like look so at that it's a snake it's crawling through a skull that's pretty cool yeah and then there's like the other ones like a little like lizard too you know and so oh um, yeah you're right yeah, so, I mean, like, I like it because it's kind of throwing back to me and like, hey, these are not just, like, lizard people. I mean, they are, but they're they're not lizards. They're heavy on the people, light on the lizards, I guess. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so uh, I love the – I love the uh, – the poses that they have like i think they're like they look very dynamic with them one's actually like blowing out on the blowpipe uh and i was thinking about this the other day because i was putting together um some some orcs for the kill team and one of the guns like kind of like comes down past the bo past the top of the base it kind of hangs yep. over the edge and yep. this the blowpipe skink does the same thing and I kind of, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I like it. I like it when they kind of do that because it it doesn't feel like it's so contained. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it, But at the same time, it's not like overhanging to a point where something's going to break. Right. You know, so, um, but and the other I, thing think, I, I think they're good. Cool, cool. Yeah, the other thing I like about these is um, it's been easy with a lot of GW's latest sculpts to kind of accuse them of over detailing models and they've right. created a ton of dynamism here without actually putting like there's a lot of canvas here you could paint these skinks however you want the uh -huh. artist here has done a ton of creative license with kind of doing different shades of green all over the place and they've actually like free-handed markings on their um on this kind of upper frill that's going on yeah. with them so yeah, I think uh, we'll see a lot of people sort of creating cool color schemes on these skinks. Well, and I like the um, the kind of the base part of the model, you know, because, um, like, they're standing on ruins. 
And I think for like a little skink, like that just adds so much to the story of the model, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to – the thought is that this is the one, one half of the quarterly Warcry box that's coming out. And yeah. par- part of it – Sundered Fate is the name of it. What's it called? It's called Sundered Fate. Where I, I must have missed that. Was that in the – they uh yeah uh-huh. they sent out the names of the um kind of their warcry uh plan their warcry roadmap mm. what had the first names of the first oh, three right. boxes the first one is sundered fate the next one is uh like blood something um Ooh. yeah so i wasn't sure i I'll have to find the name of the next one. I mostly just remember the name of the first one because a lot of people were yeah. saying it would be Zinch. And it still could be. It could be uh, Seraphon versus Zinch, of course. Oh, yeah. Very, very, but, uh, but yeah, we know at least half of it is going to be lizard folk, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and part of the reason we also know that this isn't just like a, a like a one warband release like the Chaos Legionnaires is that uh, they specifically in the article called out new terrain pieces that was in the video that they showed right yeah. and there's a couple little terrain pieces that you could see like one has like some stretched leather um and then there was like another one that had a different kind of platform than the ones that had come out in the heart of Gur. um and so so you know obviously they're not just going they're not just going to separately release terrain um and a warband so it's going to be coming out in a in a in a battle box basically and so I'm excited for it. What, so who, like, what is the other side of this? Do you think is coming out? I mean, personally, I wouldn't be surprised still to see the other side being Zinch, just because uh-huh. anytime someone says fate, that makes sense. And okay, so here's where I put on the tinfoil hat. Um, so one thing that Kill Team I noticed they were doing last year was they would do things like have. Um, there was a kill team box that was Chaos Space Marines versus Eldar. Yeah. And it came out like right after the Eldar Codex came out. Mm-hmm. And um, probably mildly annoying for some Eldar fans because the Eldar from the kill team box weren't in the Codex. And then you had to get this little supplement and then get the <laughs> data sheet and, nice. you know, maybe slide it into your Codex or something, which I'm sure was a little annoying. But. It makes sense from a kind of a marketing standpoint, like while people are thinking about Eldar or maybe painting Eldar armies, it's like, hey, here's the Eldar kill team, right? And they've got the, you know, I think it was Eldar pirates. Um, yeah. And so I yeah, the corsairs. Be... Yeah, and so since we're having this Zinch uh, battle tome come out so recently in AOS, I just wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, why not time it alongside a uh, a Warcry box that is half Zinch. Um, it just makes so much sense. And, and Seraphon and Zinch both kind of, they're a natural matchup against each other because yeah. they're both so magical and so kind of mysterious seeming. Um, so that would be my bet, would be we see that. And then my other side of the tinfoil hat, uh, sorry to go on, I'm just going to finish it's this fine. one rant, is the other thing we've seen in Kill Team is they've done a lot of... Uh, updates to 40k units within a kill team setting mm-hmm. and so i wouldn't be surprised if our chameleon skinks if it's just five of them 
and they're just, hey, this is the new Chameleon Skink War Scroll, and you get it in the War Cry box. And that's, right. that's what the name of the game is. And then five would be a little short for a warband. Maybe they'll have two by five, so it's just ten Chameleon Skinks. Uh-huh. Um, hey, maybe they'll have nine and say that a unit of Chameleon Skinks is three models. You know, something like that. So yeah. here's your whole battle line full of Chameleon Skinks, or here's a fully reinforced unit of Chameleon Skinks. Um, or the other thing they could do, you know, we could still see a different revamped um, a revamped Seraphon thing. So you could have a Salamander hunting pack. You could have just five Chameleon Skinks, a Salamander, and two Skink Herders. Right. And that could be a that's a warband, you know. That's eight yeah. models that could absolutely just be a warband. So and and that could be like the group unit in Age of Sigmar, right? That has its own special war scroll. Or absolutely, because exactly yeah. they they already have a war scroll now. So then it would give them a great excuse to update the war scroll because AOS players are complaining about salamander hunting packs like constantly. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's still a problem in the meta, but I know it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, it has been a problem in their meta for like yeah. two years now. So yeah. uh, it'd be a great excuse for them to just update the war scroll and, you know, AOS players would be happy. Uh, Warcry players would be happy to have it, you know, do something upgraded in, in Warcry. So yeah, there's a lot they could do there. You know, the nice thing about having a Skinks versus Zinch thing is that um, those are two of the most notoriously expensive warbands to get into if oh, you want to yeah. get if you want to get a warband together in those factions. Like the like the Zinch one, like you have to buy to start collecting, but it's really not like it's okay. You know what I mean? Like you'd yeah. have to get other like more elite units and things like that and and kind of the same thing with with uh the seraphon like the start collecting seraphon isn't fantastic for Warcry. it's so. not you'd want to i mean you'd want to be like pretty fluent in ebay to get yeah. the start collecting skinks sell the bastilladon yeah and then oh but now in Warcry 2.0, it's not quite as skink heavy, so maybe you would want to go with the Seraphon one. But the Saurus start collecting is just Saurus warriors and knights. Right. That's not exactly. really. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So, so you know, if they have an optimized Seraphon warband that you know maybe it's you know like the hunting packers. Let, let's just call it that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the the Seraphon hunt Seraphon hunters or something. You know that they have their special name. And um, you can add to it, obviously, like you drop maybe a couple chameleon skinks, you could add like a different Seraphon model if you wanted to, you know, um, then, yeah, maybe, maybe that, that'd be pretty good, easy to get into, you know, like if, if they sell this box after, you know, the, the big box comes out, they sell that unit as a Warcry band for $60, like that's way easier to get into than what it would require now. So, yeah. and, and again, it's almost the same thing on the Zinch side as well. So, um, I don't know. So, I heard that some people were thinking green skins, like um, that they were going to do a refresh on Bone Splitters um, for that. I, I For all the reasons that you said about Zinch and the fact that I think Games Workshop does, has, like, almost no love for Bone Splitters, like, I don't see that happening. Um <laughs> I also don't see two like 
green factions facing off against each other. Like, that looks terrible on the cover of a war box. Oh, fascinating. I did think about that, but you're right. They wouldn't, you know? do, they wouldn't do green skins against another green faction, would yeah, they? Yeah, and, and here they have the art for these skinks right here. They're green. So, yeah. hmm. you know, you know, you know that they're going to be putting some green stuff, um, you know, on, on that. So I don't see, um, I don't see the, uh, the bone splitters showing up, um, there. Um, if I were going out on a limb, just kind of like, if, like maybe a wish, maybe there could be a cool ogre refresh. You know, like maybe there's like a man eater, um, like war band that gets put together. Maybe it's kind of like, like uh, ogres get a taste of lizard. Yeah, yeah, and they kind of look like yeah. conquistadors going into the jungle. You know what I mean with their flare yeah. hats they want and some stuff like, like greasy that. Greasy gator. That's what they want. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I mean, like if I would love to see a destruction war band get in there because obviously Seraphon is order and we've had a ton of chaos. So maybe a cool like specific destruction war band um and uh yeah i don't know what do you think jason i don't know I, you you threw me with the double green on the box um, uh. i think that's a really valid point i think it's yeah. a really valid point yeah you need you need something that's uh, going to be completely against it like if you were to go colors like you almost got to think it's got to be like a, a like um corn i think zinch would be totally fine you know because you have that very rich blue uh corn because you have the red and the green that would offset each other yeah or you could but... do one of these grayscale war bands because that kind of fits with everything you know so uh -huh. like soul blight like that that's always kind of gray unless the vampires are involved or uh you know slaves to darkness but People would riot if there was another Slaves to Darkness war band. Yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, I I think they've played that out for now. Yeah. Um, destruction wise, yeah, I can't think of. Because we already all, had a Gitz box. We had a all, Zinch box. I guess Zinch is um, they're chaos, right? Yeah. yeah. But they could do a Zinch. They could totally do a Zinch box. Um, I don't see them doing Nurgle because they just came out with uh, the Rottmeyer Creed. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and they're green, so, and they're green. So I mean, it could be a random new bespoke warband, you know, that's like completely new. I would bet, yeah, I would bet, like if it is Zinch, it won't be Arcanite's Zinch. It'll be something bespoke. Maybe it'll feel a little bit like Carrick Acolytes, uh -huh. but it's going to be like this is what Zinchy mortals look like in Gur. You know, um, I right. would be pretty shocked if we get any warbands that aren't at least a little gurified. Because um, mm -hmm. even these chameleon skinks, they're just like a little bit more jungly than uh, than your average Seraphon are. And Seraphon fit in the jungle anyway, yeah. right? right. But, but these have been kind of extra jungled by the fact that they're sort of creeping on branches and stuff like that so um yeah i'd be pretty shocked if we don't get like a kind of a slightly gur flavor to whatever warband we get yeah 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the nice thing is that we can rule out any order faction because they're not going to do an order versus an order, right? Right. So no Stormcast Eternals, no Daughters of Cain, no uh, Sylvaneth, you know, no Cities of Sigmar, none of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting. So any any parting thoughts from either of you? How much do you think the box is going to be? Uh, it'll be less, I think, yeah. than yeah. the core box was. Um, I don't know how much less, but you know, because the, they won't have the core book in there, they won't have um, the dice, you know, the ruler, like yeah, the cards, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, the terrain will probably be a little bit less. Ter- well, maybe not. Maybe it'll be about the same, since they said that all the terrain is going to be kind of riffing off the same theme, which I uh-huh. love that, by the way. Um, it kind of goes with this whole quarterly thing of, yeah. you know, I think it's been really good for the game, just promising this quarterly release update. I think a lot of us complained about it, saying, like, well, Warcry can't handle that much stuff. Um, you know, people aren't going to be able to get every box anymore. In retrospect, all those arguments were terrible because <laughs> what it does is it it keeps interest in the game. It shows like, listen, if you don't like um, chaos cows versus chaos toads, uh, just wait three months and you'll get you know order lizards versus something. Um, and it kind of keeps it keeps bringing Warcry up in people's minds, and you know it's been great for Kill Team for like, like refreshing all these ideas and putting all this new world building into the 40k universe. And I think a year down the road, I think we're gonna look at this quarterly release schedule and we're gonna think it was really great for the game. I think so. I think as collectors, because a lot of us Warcry people are collectors, right? I think. Um... We're, we're sitting here going like, oh my gosh, that's going to be, you know, approximately $800 a year that I spend on this hobby, you know, <laughs> just on the, just on this, you know. Yeah, um, it's a completionist nightmare, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, is like, you know, I, I've kind of stopped building AOS armies and an AOS army is like $1,000, you know, and if I was doing one of those a year, you know what I mean? So I'm just redirecting my funds um into <laughs> into other ways you know and um and this is one of those one of the arguments is like hey if you've got a robust gaming group like split up the box purchases and then share the armies kind of you know um yeah. if if that's kind of what you want to do like hey tonight I'll play Horns of Hutchet hey next week I'll play you know Seraphon and let's just mix it up a little bit um cuz that's that's always fun to do too and that kind of helps spread the wealth a little bit. Uh, I, I agree. I think I think it's going to come with about the same amount of terrain. I think that this Hardiger, like in terms of amount of terrain, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but it didn't feel like it nearly as much as the first box. It didn't, um, but the map still felt full with yes. the size of the trees. Yes. Uh, the first box, though, had a table and a half worth of terrain. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. still had, like, another half a box of terrain sitting in the box when you had a full table. You know, and, and your Heart of Gur, I can only I can really only build one table's worth of uh, Warcry yeah, with that. Like, I won't I th- be able to spread that out into multiple tables. Yeah, so to your, to your question, I think this box is going to cost somewhere between 120 to 150 I Maybe you've got two war bands. Think about forty to fifty bucks a war band, and then terrain inside there 
and then so that come with it. I think it could go anywhere from 120 to 175. Yeah, that's and the re- range. reason why I say 175 is because the um, Kill Team Morok box that had Space Marines and um, the Bloodied, um, which are like basically like uh, disfigured, you know, warp creation things. Um, yep. That went for 170. It's like 175. Oh, so you're probably right. I'm changing all my bets to 175 then, if that's true. I would (laughs) bet they match the kill team prices. But I think the recent box... um, I'm curious about what the recent box is. Now, are we talking the Amazon 35% off price or the... Um, I, I can't oh, yeah. find Before it anywhere. Discounts. So Before once you discounts, get the discounts, okay. yeah. But I can't, I couldn't find Morak for anything, anything less. And that included Gans Workshop. Like everybody, well, I mean, it, that it was less, but then the shipping was like $15. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, interesting. All so, right. yeah, I, but the thing is, is your box, Jason, the one that you got for Kill Team was like 120, right? Yeah, it was about 100, 120 bucks. Yeah. That was discount though. That was the you know, with the whatever the when someone's a valid reseller and they can do their discount whatever thingy. Yeah. Okay. Which is the price you typically get on Amazon because those dudes are just scrapping for uh penny revenue. Mm-hmm. Or you know, penny profits anyways. They're going for quantities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the so, uh yeah, interesting. So okay. speaking of these uh, these bespoke boxes that they're putting out, you've actually put one on the table and yes, enough to say that we're going to go and deep dive um, one of these two factions, the Horns of Hushut. Yeah, so um, we had a great, like we said, we had a great little kind of war cry night and I decided to bring Horns of Hushut. Now I, I kind of developed two lists one of them had a Chimera in it, um, but I didn't actually put that one on the table because I wanted to see how the the Warband handled by itself straight out of the box. And the first game I played, uh, I played against uh, an Iron Golems list that I had put together that had uh, dropped the basically the three Legionnaires and put in a Ogroid Myrmidon. And uh, I ended up losing that game against them. Uh, it was a pretty close game. It was a very close game, but um, it was interesting because some of those man, the Iron Golems are actually pretty good now. I'm just gonna say yeah, that. Yeah, they got huge buffs. They got huge buffs in second edition. <laughs> They're not like meme level things now, right? Like they can, and that's the thing I noticed is when I was putting this list together, I'm like, okay, well their movement's slow, but if they're gonna get to me, they're gonna hit like a truck. And they did. Like, they really did. And it was hard to kill them. Um, uh, now, this was also my first game learning Horns of Hushut. So I think that was a learning It was a learning curve. I think I would have beat them the second time if I had played them. Um, just knowing how, how to play them a little bit better, right? So Yeah, so um, you said it was all about, when we were talking off yeah. air, you said it was all about Ash Bomb and, like, planning out where you were going to put the ash bomb and how you were going to uh, like bait people into being vulnerable to the ash bomb. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that ability? Yeah. So actually let me talk about kind of like, let me talk about sort of all the ability and I'm not going to go through all of them one by one. Um, but 
the the abilities of the horns of Heshut are actually pretty good. Um, I'll, let me start with the reaction because that's always like a big question in 2.0. Like, how is the reaction? Um, the reaction is is that like when somebody moves or finishes their move within three inches of you, um, you roll a dice, and if it's greater than the fighter's toughness characteristic, they you allocate three points of damage to that fighter and subtract. Um, one from the strength characteristic of melee attack actions until the end of the battle round. So, in theory, that's pretty good, but it's only really good against, I would say, like other Warcry bands. Like, it sucks against Chaos um, uh, or like uh, um, Slaves to Darkness. It sucks against uh, Stormcast Eternals. It sucks against Iron Golems, you know, that all have toughness of like five and six or four, five and six. And so, um, and now it has to say equal or greater. So even a toughness four, I mean, you got a 50, 50 chance. Like, is that worth giving up an activation? Probably not. Right. Cause especially it's only your hundred point or more fighters who can even do that activation. So, right. Exactly. You know, I'm looking at the, your worst fighter maybe is this demolisher with, with, uh, weapon and shield yeah but, you know it's still got three attacks twos and fours i mean yeah you know you don't really want to give that up for a 50 50 shot at doing three damage right exactly so um i i i never found myself even looking at the reaction as i was playing it do you know what i mean because it oh, just yeah. wasn't even like wasn't even really an option for me to use that so um, in fact, I th- would say for the most part with the Horns of Heshut, I don't even think any of the reactions were really totally an option. I would have maybe used them um, with some of the Shatterers that are like the 55-point models. Um, if I knew that they were going to die, I would have you know, thrown out like the, um, the counter reaction or something like the that. The desperation counter that's yeah. kind of becoming a thing in Warcry 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're like, well, I'm going to die anyway, so here you go. Yep. Um, and... So, but I, ne- I never found myself really in that position to do it either. I would activate them before I, before they would die, you know? So, mm. um, mm. so I never, I never honestly never saw my, like even looked at the reactions. I think reactions are so. situational. I think this one has a place, especially with, forget the wounds, but it's reducing the strength of the attacks by one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, which you got could somebody be that's coming to kill you and they're rolling, you know, and they're a four, you're a four. And they're rolling four dice, and you really want to stay alive because you want to activate and haven't had a chance yet to with this character. You can make those hits on fives and sixes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's situational. Um, but like I said, I never found myself in that situation, so I, I didn't even consider it. Um, the the two that are the highlights for me. I mean, they've got they've got. Um, well, there's three. There's three in here that I would say are, are actually pretty good, usable. The ones that aren't are like ones that's called Stampede of Iron, and that's really just like you make a charge, you roll a dice, you do damage on that. I think that's on that roll. a total waste. It's a yeah, it, I I, never. It's never been my favorite, right? Yeah. Um, the laid a waste is not terrible, um, but again, it's situational. It's like um, it's a double, and if you if you kill a um, enemy fighter, you can use a double to um, make a bonus move action or, or bonus uh, at attack action. So, again, that's it's not terrible. Um, it's actually not bad. Um, and then the quad, I never got to use this quad, 
But um, it's the finder makes a bonus melee attack action in addition add one to the damage points allocated by critical hit scored in that bonus attack action. So it's, I guess, like, uh, what, Rampage plus? Uh, Rampage minus. Rampage minus. Could you add... Because Rampage? Rampage gives you two bonus. I mean, I guess it depends, right? If you yeah. start in combat, then it's yeah. better than Rampage. Right. But if you are trying to do multiple combats or do... Right. You know, because yeah. you only get one bonus action. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Kinda, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're... And I was thinking about that. If you're in combat already, it's better than Rampage um, because you add one to the damage as well, right? But... If you had to move, Rampage is better than that. So anyway, those were like the least ones that I used. The the, the one that's actually decent, it's available everyone, it's called Merciless Cruelty, and it's the next attack action made by this fighter. This activation scores a critical hit on a 5+, plus if the target fighter already has 5 or more damage points allocated to them. So critting on a 5+, plus all of a sudden makes a lot of these fighters pretty good because they've got 4... Four or five is their crit numbers, you know. So, especially like a shatterer, which um, again, this is their fifty-five point model. Um, they have three attacks, strength three, so they're usually hitting on fives and sixes anyway. But if you could activate that with a double, all of a sudden they're crit, crit, crit. That could be twelve. You know, like you could have like anywhere from four to twelve damage points allocated to somebody. So. Um, it's actually pretty good on the Shatterers. I liked it. I liked that one. Um, the other one that I thought was really good... I, I think it's good if you have yeah, no other option because they're still only rolling three dice at fives and sixes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It might be, like if, I, we'd have to yeah. do the math, and I'd be curious what your thought is, Dan, and if it would be better just to use the uh, the universal and just make yourself roll four dice. My sense is that if you get to attack twice, it's better to onslaught. But I think if you're only attacking once, I think you might be better with merciless cruelty. Yeah. But I'd have to I'd have to do that math again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it's only the next attack action, right? So. But it's pretty close. I I don't think it's much better. But you know, that's fine. Sometimes, a lot of the time with doubles, you're just trying to get a little bit of, just a little bit of extra sauce. Yeah. And the nice thing about that is it's not adding the value of the ability. You know what I mean? It's just it it just happens on a five plus, which is I thought pretty good. That's it's not bad. Um, all right, so there are two that were the standouts, the absolute standouts, and and Jason will attest to this. I was trying to pull triples every single time I was rolling priority because there's two things in here that were great. The first one is for the um, the demolisher with the flame hurler. So this is like the flamethrower guy, right? His triple, it's really good. You pick a visible enemy fighter within six inches of this fighter and roll a number of dice equal to the value of this ability. So if I got two triples, I was always rolling the the high or picking the high one, right? Yep. For each four plus, allocate three damage, three points of damage to that fighter. Then do the same for each other visible enemy fighter within two inches of that enemy fighter, but instead roll a number of dice equal to half the value of this ability rounding up. So this happened with Jason where um, I think I targeted the Dread Warden that you were running. Um, uh, and Okay, yeah. Yeah, and so I rolled like six dice. I think I put three wounds on you, took him to nine, and then I was able to roll three dice for the little ghoul that was next to him and it took him off the table and i just wasn't in a position to get like if i had been able to target that ghoul i would have been able to hit another like the dread warden and the other person next to them but i just mm -hmm. couldn't 
fix that right because of the movement but still though like um if you're looking at a scenario where people are going to be grouping around an objective like you know there there's center objectives and they're going to be jockeying for position this is like an absolutely devastating ability for a triple absolutely devastating and here's why i like it even if there's just one person that you're targeting with it the reason i like this ability is that it gets around the idea of shooting into combat because you're not shooting into combat this is an ability so even if I have a friendly model within combat, um, I can still sh uh, use this ability to do a ranged attack, essentially, against an enemy fighter. Mm -hmm. So it was very good. Jason recognized quickly that he was the threat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, he was the big threat on the table, that one model. And um, I totally misplayed him the first round, and I think that's a big part of why I lost. Um, I played him a little bit better the second round. Um, and so like he, he was able to do more, much more damage, but, um, like if you see him out there on the table, Dan, like you need to kill him right away. <laughs> Good like, to know. I'll be advised. Yeah. <laughs> cause he's a, he is a damage dealer, you know? So, um, cause then like the thing is, is even if he can get his normal ranch attack off, which is no slouch, right? Like he's got. Um, three attack, uh, three attacks at strength five, one and five. So yep. like he can still do damage, and then he can get this um, ability off as well. Um, he's 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 worth it. Like he's got some oomph. Um, so so that was him. So he was really good. Now the other ability here that I kind of glossed over in the beginning, and I didn't realize it until halfway through the game how good this ability actually was. Um, first off, this ability is able to be activated by every single model in the Horns of Hushut range except for the 55-point Shatterers. So all your Ruinators, your Demolishers, um, like all of them um, can activate. Basically, anybody who has a bullhorn head can activate this ability, and it's called the Ash Bomb. And you pick a visible point within six inches of this fighter that is on the battlefield floor or platform. And you place a token there, and it's an ash bomb token. And while any enemy fighter is within three inches of that ash bomb token, you subtract one from their toughness characteristic and one from their attacks characteristics um, by them to a minimum of one. So, and at the end of the battle round, you remove the token. But let me tell you again. You get a group of people that's bunched up together, and you throw that ash bomb in the middle of them. It make it changes the game. And uh, Jason can probably talk to this a little bit too, because uh, unfortunately he was on the receiving end of it. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, did you want to like what? Do we want to hit it now, or or kind of how the gameplay worked out on it, or what? Oh yeah, just uh, let's let's talk about it. I mean, I think it's one of the best things that this army brings to bear. In fact, the my list that I built, I built one of my lists around this ability uh, specifically because it just, it, you know, a three-inch bubble in a melee combat just makes your, it makes your uh, four strength guys be hitting really heavy on a lot of enemies. I mean, you're going to be hitting on threes, three pluses, right? Because it brings down that, it's the toughness, right? It brings down the toughness, but it also brings down the number of attacks. Yeah. And yeah. that's significant, bringing down the number of attacks of a group. It's like you haven't just nerfed one model. You've nerfed an enormous amount of 
um, um, attack power that you're bringing to a specific location on the table. But it also, I think it also emphasizes, um, I think once people learn about that bomb, um, I think the kind of the, maybe the counter to it is, once again, movement. It's positioning, you know, keeping yeah. your models greater than three-inch uh, separation uh, is not entirely impossible to do and still play the board. Um, I learned it. I didn't know. I didn't really understand the ash bomb, so I had some guys grouped together on an objective. But I think that's where the this bomb is really going to shine. Just mm -hmm. dump it on an objective, right? And then you get a three inch on the objective, which is where people typically need to be within to capture the objective. Which means if you want to take that objective, you're going to take the debuff. Yeah, I'm interested. Like if if the counterplay to this is great movement, but a lot of people are concerned in Warcry 2.0 about movement three warbands just being um, just so overwhelming once they get to the point, right? Um, you know, like Graveguard just being impossible to chew through without them just chopping you up or... Um, you know the the ko arcanauts that i was playing with and people just going like those are they have how many 12 wounds they only cost you 50 points what is yeah. that <laughs> and it's like well you know they have move three so that's that's <laughs> all the move three guys are getting uh really beefed up you know either survivability or damage um if that's kind of a thing that people are concerned about i do wonder about horns of hashut as a uh, as a bit of a counter there because of uh just how big the ash bomb can be on a point in terms of how much it swings a point. Um, I'd be curious to think about, you know, what two allies from outside of chaos do you bring in to give them some real, some real hitting powers? Maybe something that that benefits from that uh, plus one toughness boost. Because um, if there's one, if there's one Achilles heel of the horns, I don't know if it came up in your games, but uh, no single fighter of theirs seems very impressive. Like I look at the oh, yeah. Ruinator Alpha stats and I'm just not, I'm not intimidated, you know? No, um, no. I mean, he's, he's like a tier three in a, uh, Daughters of Cain list. Right. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Like, I wouldn't even look at him twice in, in that list or like, uh, or, uh, a Soulbite Gravelord list, like not even an option to put in the list. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. But um, so that's a bit of dead weight, but I do wonder about kind of bringing in a couple big scary allies, but then having just enough, just enough shatterers to claim objectives, and then um, you know maybe a ruinator and a demolisher, because the demolisher can also do the ash bomb. Am I? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it can. So the the flame hurler you can walk around threatening either ash bomb or engulfing flames depending on the situation uh yeah i think there's some really interesting ways to maybe get a little more competitive with horns of hashut uh so yeah. using a lot of allies because i do think i do think they need a little bit of help in terms of having one big damage dealer yeah, look, they've got base movement four, which isn't terrible. Um, like it's pretty good, you know. I mean, it's not it's not like it's amazing, bad, but, it's, but like yeah. it's average, you know. Like yeah. it's average. Um, uh -huh. and uh, so that's not that's not bad. I will say this: that with that ash bomb, these guys hit above their weight class a lot because all of a sudden their strength four attacks 
um, that they have are um, like their strength. Some of their strength fours, especially the Ruinators, right? The strength four attacks are all yeah. of a sudden hitting on threes, fours, fives, and sixes with a lot of a lot of uh, people out yeah. there. You know, and so um, they're hitting above their weight class a little bit. Now, man, the Demolishers. I'm just super underwhelmed by the Demolishers. Um, you know, these are your 105-point okay. guys. And this is Warcry's... You're talking about the ones with Crushers, not the ones with Flamers that we just talked yes, about. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's three kinds of Demolishers, right? There's the one that's the Flamethrower that we say is amazing. Yeah. There's one that has a Hammer and Shield, basically, and he's got better toughness, but, you know, less attacks. And then there's one that has, like, a double, double uh, Hammer, basically. And... Those guys are 105 points. Um, I think that they are the epitome, like they epitomize Warcry's problem of like the mid mid tier fighters, and how like they're just kind of irrelevant in the game. Yeah, you know, like their stats just aren't great enough to justify the points values, and like the the guys with the the chaff like are often some of the most heralded ones because they do a lot for their point value. And these guys at 105 points, they really don't do a lot for the point value. Um, they do have a base damage of two. That's great. But their, their strength attacks are three. So unless you have the Ash Bomb out there, they're hitting on fives and sixes all the time pretty much. So I don't know. I would rather trade those guys in and throw in like an Ogroid Myrmidon, um, maybe a Fulmeroid Crusher, maybe a Mindstiller Spheranx, like... Throw in, throw in another ally that you could do, and and I haven't even started thinking about um, leader allies that you could that you could yeah, throw so in. Yeah, I know? think a good one to throw in just off the top of my scan <laughs> would be you know the beast, something like the Beast Lord, right? He's 180 points. He's he's not technically not he's a hero, right? That's yep, how you can bring yep. him in. But mm -hmm. he five attacks for strength. Well, now you got five attacks hitting on threes a lot of the time. Yeah, and he's yeah, doing that's two great four. With the ash bomb. And he's doing two four. So pair him with with an ash bomb thrower, and just run around the board with the ash bomb thrower, throwing the ash bomb and smacking things upside of the back of the head. Yeah. So I would probably like my list with the horns of Hushut would look something like um, the Ruinator that's one hundred sixty five points, two Demolishers with the flamethrowers. And then, like, maybe three or four Shatterers, and then an ally or two, depending on points, you know? Because yeah. um, mm -hmm. you can take – oh, man. Like, you have to have a leader from your warband, right? Yeah. You have Do to you? have one with the leader from your uh, – From your warband, Faction right. is what it's – what's it called? Yeah. Yeah, warband, faction, yep. whatever. So the pro the the thing is is that there's only one leader, which is the Ruinator Alpha, because um, the regular Ruinator he's actually point for point much better. He's only got he's got five wounds left less, and his crit is crit damage is four instead of five, but he actually has one more attack, same strength, same movement, same toughness, but he's only 125 points rather than 165. So if I were to choose one. Ruinator, I would choose 125.1, but I wouldn't. But you have to have the leader, so you're going to need to take the Ruinator Alpha. So, yeah, my list would look like Ruinator Alpha, the Demolisher with the Flame Hurler, and like three or four Shatterers, and then an ally or two that they could come in and give a little bit more oomph to make up for the mid tier fighters that are missing, you know. So, that that's kind of my thought after playing them. 
Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, either way, it seems like there's real promise there, just with how good the ash bomb is and how you can combo that with other things. I think I think so. Um, I was surprised at how well they did against your uh, flesh eater cords, Jason. Um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of it is you know education. Like I didn't really understand yeah. the impact of the ash bomb or the flame. Yep. Um, there, because uh, I agree with you. I think the individual fighters themselves didn't really scare me, and I kind of learned that. Even we had this one objective that kind of got pounced on by one of your groups that came in in round two uh-huh and at first i was like holy crap I forgot these guys are coming in and then after they came in, i was kind of i was kind of underwhelmed by their their noodling that they were hitting me with yeah and so i kind of just you know I, I was still able to control that objective through you know i think appropriate movement and bringing other characters in but that flamer and the ash bomb i think are are significant um and i think you know i built you know i, I my list I don't know if we're at that stage yet where we want to talk about what our lists would be, but you just gave yours, so I'm going to give mine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I started with just a straight flat one with an with an Orgroid Myrmidon in it, right? Um, uh-huh. But then thinking about those demo, uh, the demos with Crusher, uh, same concept. Like, man, they're not really doing much. Can I tweak that a little bit to get more capability? So I actually have two lists that I'm working on. One is... Runeator A with heavy flail just to get the leader in there. Uh-huh. Uh, demo with flame, demo with flame. A beast lord. Okay. Ogroid Myrmidon. A chaos warhound and a shatterer. It's oh, a little bit of soupy, but I like it because I've got three dudes who can throw. I got two dudes who can do the flame wherever and i can position them differently on the board i got three people who can throw that ash bomb mm-hmm. right i got yep. the warhound thing which i've talked to you about before i really like the thralls ability, uh reaction the master's voice reaction where if anyone ends if any if any enemy finishes a move action within three inches of a hero that that thrall gets a bonus move and attack as long as you can finish within one inch of the enemy right and those things move eight so it's like you get yeah. one, you're trading one action to move and attack. Uh, and I think it's really good to lock people up. But um, uh, I think the Myrmidon and the Beast Lord can really benefit. The Myrmidon's there to scare, right? And the, the Beast Lord's there to benefit mm-hmm. from the Ash Bomb. And then the Shatter is just chaff because I have 55 points left. But that's kind of my thought. The other, the other one that I was... The other one that I was thinking about was just Ruinator A, Demo with Flame, Demo with Flame. I had two Crushers in there demo with crushers i actually threw a shatter in there and then a mutilith vortex okay and cool. at first i was thinking i wanted to put a um what's the uh the thing that f- can freeze you in place the mind mind stealers uh-huh yeah yeah the mind stealer because I, on a double you can freeze people in place so freeze them in place and keep throwing ash bombs on them or freeze them in place and keep throwing flames on them uh-huh to clear them out right um but i like the mute mutilex vortex uh because um of its uh, maw tentacles. Uh, first of all, it's a monster. The and I think ability. The, yeah, I think the three activation of the monster and the monster triple that we talked about before, the dragon uh-huh. maw, 
and then the Ma Tentacles on a double. So now I got triples that I'm saving for my flames and my ash bombs, and I got a double there to be able to control where people are on the board with my big monster. And my monster can activate multiple times, which, you know, keep in mind that means you can you can take advantage situationally of multiple abilities with a monster uh, per turn. So, yeah, I think I think it's important to recognize that um, this warband is very triples hungry. Right, because yep. you need a triple to do the ash bomb. You need a triple to do your flamer thing. Yep. yep. So, um, you know, you get two doubles, and sure, that'll give you two triples or whatever. But like, if you get a triple, a natural triple, and a double, like that's you. May, if you've banked the wild dice, maybe you can walk away with two triples and a double that round. Yeah. Maybe. I don't think. I think you know. a triple and a double is good, but I think having. This is why I kind of like the Vortex Beast. Uh, that Maw Tentacles is only a double. Mm-hmm. And in the double, yeah. I can grab any enemy fighter within six inches, and I can suck it towards me. And that's yeah. that's movement control. That's six inches. That's more than a lot of those fighters' ability to move back to wherever they ever wanted if they tried yeah. to do a disengage. You know? Yeah. And that's a double. So doubles are super easy, and I, I think it's typically easy to get with your wild die to get at least one triple. So I think it's very reasonable to every round be starting with a double and a triple uh, to be able to work on. And if you get lucky, maybe you get a better roll on another turn. Uh, yeah, so this, Jason, you kind of bring us into the last thing that we want to talk about today, which is our um, our one of our main topics is about monsters. Yeah. Right, monsters in the game. So uh, each faction, and unlike... Unlike allies, only chaos has you know designated allies right now. You know the non-hero allies um, with the ally uh, rune mark on it. But every faction has monsters, and this is an interesting concept to the game. And we saw this firsthand at the Nova Open when you brought a a uh, terror geist. Yeah. <laughs> you brought a terror geist to a uh, to a to a gyrocopter fight one time, right. I think, right? <laughs> <That was wild>. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you know, you're talking about adding a monster into your list, and and now with Warcry 2.0, you can do that. And they aren't cheap. They usually range from somewhere like 250 points to 300, almost 400 points. And uh, some are better than others, but um, the interesting thing about monsters is that they all have three activations, but you can only make one activation at a time. So you got to make an activation, and then it's the other person's turn. Then you make an activation, and then it's the other person's turn. So it's not like you get a move, you know, uh, move and then attack twice uh, all in one fell swoop. So they've got their special rules. They get their special abilities. Um, Dan, what are your thoughts about having monsters in Warcry 2.0 at this point? Um, if you want to win, you need one. <laughs> um, or like you should think about one. Uh, I think you can win without one, but but you should think very heavily about one. Uh, but not all of them are going to be a great idea all of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. If they're on a really big base... Uh, let me throw out the uh, Skitterstrand Arachnarok as an example. Yeah. Yep. 160 millimeter base. Does not fly. Oh, jeez. Uh, only moves 8 inches. Yeah. So 160 millimeters is most of 8 inches right there. Um, so 
your ability to get from one area to another yeah 160 millimeters is 6.29 inches so the back of your base when you move the back of your base is only going to be an inch and a half past where the front oh of your gosh. base was oh so gosh. if there's any terrain on the board whatsoever even if you you know had a that might be one of the ones that has a double that lets you pretend to fly for a uh-huh. for a little bit with just eight inches of move you're you're not doing anything right so some of the monsters you just can't really play them on a warcry board unless you are like think of it as narrative play where you are the dm and you're creating a game and you know the bad guy team right like you could do this in narrative if you were sort of creating your buddy's campaign and then the arachnorok might be a great choice because it's real creepy and really evocative and like you can set up the terrain to make it work that way but otherwise you know that one you can't really use um but yeah, in a, tur- you... in a tournament terrain, that could, that wouldn't that wouldn't work very well at all because tournament right. terrain you're supposed to have one to two pieces in each quadrant, you know, and and so it would just be sitting in the middle waiting to do something. Yeah. Um. And uh, and of course there's the monster rule, which some folks may not know is unless its whole base can sit on a platform, it automatically falls off. So yeah. you can't even put it on a lot of ter- like a 160 millimeter base like that doesn't even fit on any of the terrain that's out there right now, like none of it. Um, so, yeah. But but then on the flip side, you know, the terrorgeist and zombie dragon they move 12 inches. So even having yeah. that 130 millimeter pie plate, if there's anywhere on the board to sit down, they can find it because you know, 12 inch move is enough to get them there. Um, that extra four inches and then having a little bit smaller base is enough. Um, the chimera flies. Um, and, and it's on some, a one... 120 by 92. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the 120 by 92s aren't so bad. They still are going to have problems. 92 millimeters is pretty thick. Um, you know, I brought a... Uh, a Stormcast War Hydra to a narrative event in my kind of sideboard, sort of, and I could never bring it out because it couldn't fit anywhere. But, um, you know, some of them you can do. And I wanted to talk about the Dankhold Trogoth because it's okay. only on a 60 millimeter base. Yeah. The stats are a little weaker than most other monsters, but, you know, the 60 millimeter base, you can. You can put that anywhere, right? You can even get onto most terrain that way. Uh, so that true. one's kind of interesting. Um, uh, but what's yeah. his movement? Uh, six. So he's not, you know, he's faster than most regular fighters, but he's not yeah. like, you know, burning down the yeah. racetracks near you. Um, I think I think the Ale Guzzler, Ale Guzzler Gargant's also on a 60 millimeter, isn't he? Uh, yeah, that's another one. 90 by 52. Yeah, okay. You know, in some situations, is in terms of squeezing through a tight space, 52 is actually better than 60 millimeter, right? So, yeah. uh, that one's pretty doable as well. Yeah. He's also got a six inch move, um, and can do some can do some decent damage. Um, he's got, uh, um, yeah. So I, I like like you said, there's some monsters out there that are better than others i think i think it comes down to movement is the key movement and the size of the base um 
you know, like that's the first thing that I would look at in terms of building, putting a monster in my list is like one, like what's their movement Two, what's their base size. Um, and then from there you can look at their points, costs and attacks and abilities and all that stuff. Cause the fact is, is that the, the monstrous abilities that are in the core rule book are all really pretty good. They're insane. It's, I think they messed up. They're so good. <laughs> Right. You when I was up, saying games workshop, <laughs> when I was saying you have to have one, this is kind of what I was obliquely referencing. But yeah, I do think they're a little better than they should be. Specifically, Dragon Maul. Um, I don't know, Jason. You played a whole tournament with with access to Dragon Maul. What's uh, what are your thoughts on it? It's the best, one of the best abilities in the game for a triple. <laughs> I think yeah. it's. I think it's a little op. Uh, for being a triple, to be honest, because like I said, it's very easy to get a triple. Um, the only time you mm-hmm. can't get a triple is if you just have a really crap priority roll and you get roll like four, four sing or five singles, right? Which right. Is just how many times does that really happen? But uh, yeah, it's and it's not two. even. I was gonna say it's not even like uh, based on the value of this ability triple. You know what I mean? Yep. Like and that's you... the other thing. It really <laughs> should be like maybe something like you know. Based on, you know, uh, pick an enemy fighter up to the value of this ability inches away or just something yeah. like that because it's, it's, it's always pick an enemy fighter six inch within six inches. Take them off. It's one of those, you know, take them off the board, put them on the board anywhere within an inch of your monster's base and, and uh, uh, it's like roll three fours ups or something and to do three damage each for every four up or something like that. And these monsters so, have like yeah. four inch bases, yeah. you know. So it's yeah. it's yeah. ten inches of <laughs> yeah, you totally. teleport someone ten inches anywhere you want. You can teleport them in the middle of your guys. You yeah. can teleport them. That's what I'm talking about. So like, and what and that's yeah. the reason why I was talking about the the mutilith vortex, right? Is it's if you got the triple and you don't have the situation for the other part, do the dragon maw, boom, you're moving that guy huge and do yep. damage if you don't have a triple you only have a double doesn't matter move them six inches still grabbing somebody six inches away from you and moving them towards you so you're getting access with a monster to controlling the board uh, by movement um you know the one thing that we say is always kind of come back to is one of the most critical attributes in the game and you have control over it with that ability the dragon maw ability and you do damage yep. yeah <laughs> and you do damage. and and here's the other thing you gotta remember now that model is right next to you for your next activation. Right. Right. And if they've already activated, there's nothing they can do but sit there and wait for you to attack them again. Yeah, you don't have to use uh your movement ability to yeah, like that's the key. one of your activations. If I'm if I am six inches away from an enemy that I want my monster to go after and I have a triple, I'll use the triple, bring you to me, put you wherever I want, do damage from the dragon maw. And then use my activation to attack you with my crazy monster chomp. Yeah. It's just so overwhelming. And unless unless they can somehow tie you down using inspiring presence or something, um, a monster can always hunt down its target in any round because let's say you move once, dragon maul them, then they try to disengage to get away. You move again. And then you have this third activation, right? Yeah. They can't. Yeah. There's none of that give and take that there normally is in Warcry with right. when you're hunting something. Yeah. The the monster can always win the hunt, so <laughs> yep. y- you can never get away from a monster if you if you're trying to get away from it. 
Now, I will say that um, I did notice when playing when people, first of all, it's it's just like when I played my Terrorgeist in AOS, right? It 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 gathers everyone's attention. So when the monster hits the table, um, it's crazy uh, 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 crushing when it hits the table, but it gathers attention away from other things. So it's very easy to use the monster as bait to drag people over to certain areas. But once they do knock you down on the track, you your movement really starts to suffer, and it does start to become a little difficult to engage your monster in what may be necessary in a late game. And so what I'll say to that is I found very quickly that I needed right when the game started to just think, okay, where do I want my monster to be this game? Because right at the first turn, he goes there, and he really doesn't leave that zone of the game board until the, until that was over. I found that with every match that I used him with. Interesting. It did kind of draw, as I was watching you play, it did kind of draw Moss to the flame, right? Like, they're like, oh my gosh, i got to take care of this thing. Yep. And I, I wonder play, if they would have been better served just leaving it alone sometimes. Yeah, and I did play one. Um, I did play one uh, player. Actually, it was the the cities um, one with the gyrocopters. Uh, he learned, I think, right after the first round. Okay, you know, and I'm I don't need to bother this guy. I'm just gonna stay away from it. And he he threw chaff at it to lock it up. Um, and then uh, just cleared away from it. But uh, most everyone else, I think Dan Ars was a little bit more strategic game, but ev most everyone else kind of saw it and were trying to knock on it or do damage. Yeah. And part of that was, I think, my my warband had kind of been created to be able to put enough damage into one place to, to actually take a monster out. Yeah. Um, and I don't think everybody's... No, they weren't, they weren't ready for it. ...that way, yeah. They weren't ready for it, and that's okay. I uh, I didn't even really know what I was doing. I just built. I kind of actually changed my list like the day before. I was like, you know, I'm gonna bring a monster just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, th I honestly thought everyone else was bringing a monster. That's why I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we've got like we said in the beginning of the segment that that monsters exist in every faction, right? That you can choose between them. Mm -hmm. Uh. Order only has two, which is the Charybdis and the uh, War Hydra. Dan, you said you were about to bring a War Hydra to an event. Like, what do you think of those two monster options? <laughs> so I actually think the War Hydra is uh, maybe the second worst monster in the game, which is why <laughs> I felt comfortable bringing it to a narrative event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think the War Hydra is good. I think it's on six-inch move. And yes. uh, but it can get plus three, right? It for a double, you can give it plus three move. Okay. Um, but you know, big base uh, does pretty respectable damage, but not remarkable for a monster. Like you know, big and scary the way every monster is big and scary, but a yeah. lot less scary than most other monsters um, that are out there. And uh, it doesn't have the redeeming quality that the Charybdis has, which is a legitimately amazing ability. Uh, the Charybdis has Abyssal Howl, yeah. which any triple is going to be a little bit less valuable because you're giving up Dragon Maul to do it. But Abyssal Howl, you might consider doing that. Um, it nets every single fighter, enemy fighter within 
three inches of the Charybdis. And that's oh, actually... A number of inches equal to the value of the ability. Oh, I might have just been thinking three inches on average then. Yeah, yeah so sometimes even better than three yep. inches, right? If you can get a triple on... Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So if your triple is on a one or a two, then you're probably just using Dragon Maul. But if yep. it's on a five or a six, you know, Abyssal Howl, this is where the big base can actually work for you, right? Is yeah. uh, If you put that three up net on every single fighter in your opponent's warband, and then all of a sudden two-thirds of their warband can't move, you know, I mean, that could, that could be pretty incredible. And with that big base, you know, your aura on a five inch aura is is just massive in terms of the percentage of the board that that covers so um the charybdis i think is interesting but again suffers from kind of the stat issues of the war hydra yeah. of just that six inch move big base hard to use on a lot of boards uh but if can't you do fly. use it can't fly right but yeah. if you do get to put it into position um i think it's you know, it's going to be pretty impressive for you. Yeah, um, our our friend Justin Orton, who you know won the Nova Open, he would he had a list in mind of a Charybdis that sat in the middle of the uh, playing field, basically, and would just freeze or net people with that ability throughout the game. And for a tournament, believe it or not, that's not a bad plan because normally the center of the board is open enough for you to put your monster there. So um, you, you got to find a way to get it. You just need to get it there, yeah, depending there, on your deployment, yeah. you know. So you do need to get it there. But if you could get it there, then um, that's not that's not a bad place to go. Um, However, I could see that thing getting stuck in a quadrant somewhere because that's where the shield deployment was, yeah. you know, or on an edge of a board, or sometimes maybe not even being able to come in the board depending yeah. on where the terrain is. Actually, you just hit another you know? point that uh, I forgot to mention about monsters. This I think it's kind of an emergent, um, emergent benefit to bring in a monster. Oh, that's true. Good point. Is is that a monster takes up a full uh, group? You know, dagger, hammer, shield, which means it allows you to really beef up the unit quantities in the other two that are there, right? Mm -hmm. So if if you're bringing, if you somehow you fit in a unit that's got, well, let's just say you've got um, seven models, right? And one mm -hmm. of them is a monster. You can put uh, three in the dagger and the hammer and put your monster in the shield. Did I do the math right? Yeah, I did the math. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I had my flesh unit core. I had a bunch of ghouls, right? So my my dagger and my hammer were they had a lot of models in them. Like I'd never played with <laughs> yeah. that many models in those groups because the terror guys took up the entire other one. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's a no. that's kind of an emergent thing. That's a benefit of taking a model. You can beef up those other groups that are going to deploy. Yeah, especially if you know that on average the other battle groups are going to have two to three in them. Yep. You know something like that depending so uh definitely definitely so yeah i agree i think the charybdis dan is the better monster in the order and i think it's like you gotta know how to use it because it really like its main benefit is that uh abyssal howl and because it's like otherwise you can use the universal monster abilities with other models that don't have as big a bases or can fly and stuff like that so mm -hmm. the abyssal howl is really the only reason why you would take it in my opinion um but you, you're limited options when you have an order army, so 
yeah. if you want a monster, that's the one you got to take. It's, it's definitely the better of the two. It's definitely decent and reasonable, but it's I would say it's the worst best monster in a grand alliance. Yeah, right. <laughs> if that makes there you sense. Go. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we talked about bringers of death, right? So the two monsters that we have there are the um, terror geist and the uh, zombie dragon and the Rackner. Oh, no, sorry. That's in destruction. So terror geist and zombie dragon. Those are the uh, two that we have. Um, and Jason, what made you take the terror geist over the zombie dragon? So it's a good question. Um, when I was looking, well, first of all, I have a soft spot in my heart for Terror Geist. Yes, you do. I do. Yes, you but, do. Uh, but um, it's cheap. The head looks better. I'll, I think I'll just say that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's 375 points for Terror Geist and 405 for a Zombie Dragon. So for, in my case, it was a point value. Yeah. Um, I've, modded my, um, I've modded my model so that I can swap the head. My heads are magnetized, so I can swap it to become a zombie dragon just by flipping a little head off. By the way, but, my favorite is when somebody bumps it and the head falls off. Oh, yeah, and they're yeah, like, yeah. <gasps> like they yeah. freak out every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What'd you do? What'd you do? Yeah. <laughs> do you know how much that costs? No. Uh, but it, for me, it was a point value. Um, and I liked the... Uh, remember, this is before I had actually played with monsters. Uh, so I liked the concept of the uh, death scream, but then I found that if I had a triple, I was using Dragon Maw anyway, so I never really used the death scream. Uh, but uh, that's it. I think, you know, they both have pretty equivalent stats. The dra zombie dragon has an additional attack, so instead of rolling four attacks, you're rolling fives. Mm -hmm. But it's costing you 40 points to do that, to get that extra attack. And I wanted to spend those other 40 points somewhere else. Um, I wasn't super impressed with the zombie dragon abilities. Well, I think the triple's pretty strong. The sword-like claws. Oh, that's true. Add three to the attack characteristics, so now you're rolling eight attacks. Oh, yeah, that's true. Which could be pretty significant if he's high up on his track, for sure. But um, like I said, I, I think movement is... And, positioning is one of the most important things in the game so yeah. I, would, I would be using my zombie not to get in and try to kill stuff well not to get in to try to hunt things down so much as i would to drag and move things around the board yeah uh the terror geist abilities other than the double movement um are not good yeah and i think that's kind of why i steered away from it when i was using it yeah which is fine because again the monster abilities are so good right um, so let's talk about the Harbinger of Dis Destruction. We talked about the Dankhold Trogoth, um, how he's probably a good choice just because of his base size. Uh, the the um, Aelguzzer Gargant is essentially kind of the same thing. Uh, the differentiating factors there are not huge. I mean, both of them are um, 315 points. No, sorry, the Dankhold Trogoth's 280. And yeah, the, the, yeah, go ahead. The Trogoth has a little bit more uh, pedestrian attack characteristics yeah. Uh, yeah. than the Ale Guzzler does. So I think they're kind of evenly matched overall, but I think I would go for the Ale Guzzler just because it also has a pretty small base. Uh, you guys just pointed out to me of the um, 90 by 52 is... is 
pretty reasonable and pretty manageable. And then, yeah. you know, to still be throwing around, um, I think what it's four attacks, but on five strength and then four, eight to start. And uh, when they bracket you once, I think you only go down to four, six. So you're still pretty, you're pretty good there. Yeah. Um, you know, that's enough damage to be terrifying. Um, big bunch of wounds and then three activations, right? I think it's really interesting because the tyrant is probably the scariest non-monster fighter in the game and it's also 315 points right uh 42 wounds does the same amount of damage as the ale guzzler gargant so it's really about do you value the extra activation more or do you end the access to dragon maul or do you value the idea that it doesn't bracket down for the tyrant right um and i think that's really close i don't know what the correct answer is for you there um but it's you know they're both really good um we've seen people win tournaments with tyrants in 2.0 uh not nova no one brought one to nova but Mm -hmm. in uh in norway someone won a tournament with a tyrant so yeah um you can do it you i mean it's i yeah i just think it's really close which one of those you would want to take and they're both excellent some of the best stuff you can be doing in destruction yeah i think um i think if you were concerned about points, the Dankhold Trogoth is a very good option. Totally. Very good option. I mean, his, yeah, he only has three attacks. Got a range of two and strength five and doing damage on five eight. I mean, he's, um, that's Ogroid Myrmidon stats right there, you know, and he's got more wounds than a Myrmidon does. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the um, Brugit from the Gabapalooza would uh-huh. still buff the Dankhold Trogoth's attacks characteristics, oh, right? Oh, man, that's a combo there. I think you're right. Cause I think you're right, because it's a friendly funny, fighter. Right? Yeah, there's the funny thing in Destruction where not having a lot of attacks on a really big guy sometimes isn't that bad if you just like have a Brugit babysit them. So, uh, yeah, I wonder if a Brugit plus a Dankhold Trogoth is like a nice little combo there. Um, yeah. Yeah, actually, that's not terrible. Um, that, that'd be, uh, a, 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 like a, a, a twins. It'd be like tw- the movie Twins. Yeah. You know, you got your little Danny DeVito Brugate. You got your Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger Dankhold. Yeah. So. I did see yeah, the Dankhold only moves five inches, but that's still not bad considering it's on like a regular fighter sized base, you know? Right. So it's really that tiny base size that's like the big. Advertisement for the Dankhold. So, um, I believe Peter, um, good friend of the show, uh, he brought a Dankhold Trogoth in his gets list at Nova Open. And um, I know he brought it, and he said that he really, really liked it. He just, his other little models were dying too fast. Um, so he had to kind of rethink his list a little bit, but he was a big fan. He thought that uh, the, the Trogoth was pulling its weight quite a bit throughout the tournament nice so yeah it was good um all right so let's get to chaos the clear winner i think (laughs) of chaos of all the monsters is the chimera um this thing is a beast now the chimera is 390 points i think it's the most expensive uh monster out there by far 
But After goodness, the zombie dragon, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but goodness gracious! I mean, this thing can fly. It doesn't have a. It doesn't have a huge base. Um, it has six attacks at six strength, and five ten damage. And so when it brackets down, it goes to four eight, which is almost all of the other baseline profiles for the other monsters. Yeah, it's maybe the best unit in the game. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and it moves 12 inches flying. Yeah. So like that big base just doesn't really matter because you can put the Chimera anywhere. And like we said, it doesn't have the 130 millimeter pie plate. It has the 120 by 90. Um, it's a lot and, more freedom. Yeah. And just every little piece of it, right? Like all the other monsters are on four attacks, five attacks. The Chimera is like, nope, six strength nope also six you know just like yeah. every yeah. stat is just kind of pushed up one notch ahead of where you think any reasonable person would put <laughs> would yeah, put totally. their stats totally. um, yeah it can if you count dragon maul it can one shot any fighter in the game almost mm -hmm. in one attack because it you know it throws around i think on average 25 damage and that's on an average attack is 25 damage i mean that's absurd yeah it's um, crazy and then when you think about you know flying wherever it wants dragon mauling to get over to it and then attacking it's yeah pretty terrifying so this is a monster hunter right um and it's also kind of a big unit hunter so your tyrants your um uh cruel boys leader on on the uh on the mount the mount of cruel boys leader oh, sorry the name's escaping me right this second but um the, the cruel boys nash tooth yep um like he's like 38 wounds you know um your gore gruntas like your uh orc mega bosses like this is what this monster does he goes after those guys like you don't send them after the little gobos and the you know like the the little uh, arcanauts and things like that. You send them after your biggins, um, yeah. because he just eats them for lunch. So uh, one interesting thing that he has he has a triple that subtracts uh, one from the attacks characteristics of uh, all enemy fighters while they're within six inches of him. So he's got kind of an ash bomb ability himself. Uh, with that triple and that might be I think situational it's I think it's situational but that might be something to use instead of the dragon mall you know um, just depending on what what you got going on because if he can affect all those enemies around like that's that's pretty good it's something like what uh, the way Jason used his terror geist against me in that treasure mission if it were a chimera, then you would probably use that triple because now all of a sudden I can't really kill the yeah. chimera when yeah. I rush in on it. And then all of a sudden the round changes and now I've rushed in on a chimera and he's got three activations to play with. So yeah, um, yeah, I think there's definitely uses for it. Even though you'll probably use Dragon Maul more often, uh, it's still something you will use over it sometimes. So uh, other monsters in this list, there's a Chaos Gargan. I think he's got all the same, uh, it's pretty much all the same abilities. In fact, exact same abilities as the Ale Guzzer Gargan. He's, yeah, this is rating, just a Chaos yeah. version. So 
Um, if you like that over in the destruction, like go ahead and try them out in chaos. But I think one of the surprising monsters that I like in here is the Gorgon. So the Gorgon's only 330 points, but he's got 50 wounds. Uh, five attacks, strength six, 410 damage, not 48, right, in his first bracket. And then the second bracket is a 4-8. So he actually only just takes two off of the critical hits in terms of damage once he gets bracketed down. So I, I'm going to be honest. I think the Gorgon's like right behind. And I looked up his base, um, and his base is a... Oh man, I had it right here. Uh, let's see. The Gorgon's base so is 120 a one twenty by ninety two. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's not huge. It's not terribly huge. You know, it's not a ninety by you know fifty two like a Chaos Gorgon is. It's a little bit bigger, but at the same time, like he's. I, I think this is a pretty good monster. Definitely yeah, I'm a could believer get some in the Gorgon. Um, yeah, and you know, only six inch move is is a little tough there, but. Doesn't the Gorgon, it's one of the ones that has that plus three inch move. Yeah, so it can, yep. it can get to where it's going. Um, and just like you said, the damage output is absurd, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about the Cygor. Okay, yeah. Uh, mostly because the abilities, it's kind of doing a totally different thing than the other monsters. But the Cygors, um, so it starts... Uh, it has this funny thing where it can pick up rocks for a double yeah. and then it can throw rocks for a triple. And uh, you have to pick up a rock before you throw a rock, except you start with a rock in hand, right? Because, you know, they're modeled with a rock, I think. Yeah. Um, so as long as you're not empty handed, pick a visible enemy fighter within 15 inches, which is a long way. Um and everything is visible to the Cygor because the Cygor is so <laughs> it's tall. humongous. Yep. Yep. Um, and then roll a number of dice equal to the value of the ability. For each four-up, allocate five damage. That's five. right. Five. Yeah. Right? So if you're rolling, say, four dice on this triple, uh, and two of them, you know, you're, you're threatening ten damage anywhere 15 inches away. Um, I think... It's a really incredible job at doing what would a ranged monster be like? Because all these other monsters are melee monsters. Yeah. And this is truly a ranged, you know, cannon monster. Um, yeah, this is like a trebuchet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, if your triple's on a five or a six, all of a sudden, you know, your opponent has to just live with the fact that you might just one shot kill their most important fighter right um yeah and of course with the big drawback to all the non-flying monsters being that you know you might get messed up by the terrain and not be able to affect the board the way you'd like to uh the cygor doesn't care right because the cygor even if you get stuck um you know you still get to do damage from long range and then if they if you do get to close with them, you know, four attacks, four damage, four, eight crit, um, that's not as good as some of the monsters we've talked about, but it's it's still very respectable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For um, 310 points, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. And, and the, that ability you're talking about, again, throwing rocks, it's not a ranged attack, so you don't have to worry about people being in combat. Right? Yeah. So... 
I, that's a that's important. So he can throw it at anybody he wants to. Gosh darn yeah. it! <laughs> he's just so accurate, you know. Yeah. Like he's just he's not worried about hitting his buddies. That's right. That's right. Uh, now, Jason, you were looking at the Mutalith Vortex Beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of talked a little bit about what my thought there mm-hmm. uh, was behind that. It's it's really the control, right? The double to be able to move things that are six inch away from you. Yep. And fifty and fifty hit points. Or wounds, fifty wounds, right? Yeah, they're not. I, I think their their damage is okay. I think it's all about controlling and moving, and having three activations. Yeah, I mean it's got a a, a base move of eight, right? And then when it gets bracketed, it goes down by one, and so that's not uh, that's better than a lot of the other ones for sure. Yeah, his damage you know? output is not really super. It's in line with a lot of other ones, right? It, Four eight to start. Yeah, I think relative so. to the other ones that we were talking about that are also available inside of yeah. Chaos. If you're looking for a monster specifically to do massive damage, he's they're they're not your pick. I this think. isn't the one, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, this is so. this is a this is a control monster in my That's opinion. That's a great point. That's a yep. great point. It's the Chaos Charybdis. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, the Hell Pit Abomination. This is three fifty points, uh, similar to the. Um, uh, similar to the uh, Gorgon, it has 410 damage, right, uh, as its base. And, uh, I mean, it's okay. I I think, like, I'd be looking at the, the Gorgon is 330. This is 20 points more. Yeah, I don't like it compared to the Gorgon uh, yeah. or the Slaughter Brute. You know, if, right. if neither of those existed, I think I'd talk about the Hell Pit Abomination. Like, wow, pretty scary. Yeah. But it doesn't give you 20 more points worth of stuff compared to the Gorgon. And then going up 20 more points to the Slaughter Brute brings you from 6 move to 8 move. Yeah. So I just feel like I, it's kind of caught in the middle between the two damage monsters. And it's just not as good as either the cheaper one or the more expensive one you know, for the points you're investing. Right. Right. Um, which I, we kind of skipped over the Slaughter Brute. Um, he's 370 points, 50 wounds. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to be putting in 370 points, I might as well up it to 390 and get the Chimera. That's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, I wouldn't touch the Slaughter Brute until the Chimera gets a nerf, which I expect it will eventually, but maybe not in the next Toma Champions because might, they might not have time to... Uh, to right. nerf chimeras before the toma champion so we might be actually looking at like 18 months of chimeras being as they are so <laughs> right un- until that happens uh the slaughter brute I-, I would take it yeah uh so the you know the next big big event in america that we're looking at uh for war cry is probably adepticon how many people are going to come with chimeras to that do you think um i mean at least one because i will be i know a guy named dan he'll be there yeah uh i wouldn't be surprised if we see four or five chimeras yeah yeah um i also wouldn't be surprised if we see them soft banned by oh but it won't be it won't be soft banned at uh, adepticon because that's kind of like directed by gw sort of not exactly but it's like they i don't know i think they would do it pretty by the book there yeah um but we're seeing more and more like mid-sized tournaments at 
very like in various cities you know um yeah i think the the ohio crew is probably going to get like a 15 to 20 player tournament going at some point this winter and you know they've got a uh 60 well but that's going to be the 60 player event that's already sold out in the uk is actually run by gw so the maybe we'll see chimeras there i don't know um yeah but they're pretty scary and yeah like i said before we might have 18 months of them <laughs> right Oof. right so uh right on okay well um this was i think a very good uh monster review list i have a feeling that most players of Warcry that use monsters probably already have a lot of them because you know they have maybe like a gets army that's got tragus or They've got the Ale Guzzard Gargant or something like that. Um, but hopefully this review gave uh, our listeners a good idea of what's out there and what's, you know, maybe better than others so that if they do want to go out and buy a monster, um, they know which one to get. But as always, you guys can hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter, um, catch us in the Discord, ask us questions about um, maybe if you've, if you've got questions or comments about monsters, Please uh, let us know if you got questions, comments about Horns of Hesh Shut. Let us know. We'd we'd absolutely love to uh, engage with you on that. And um, uh, until then, keep the dice rolling and have a great night. See ya. See ya.